This is so wonderful to, to be here. Oh my goodness. Hi, Graham. This is so awesome. This, this evening when I was walking down to pre-service prayer and I could sort of like hear the little holy rumble, I thought, oh, this is so like, bless my soul. It's so wonderful. Oh, it's so, it's so good to be back. I love it. Okay. Have you ever used a word, word comes flying out of your mouth, and then you think, what am I even talking about? Yes, thank you, I see that hand, yes, yes. Um, I think as Christians, we're really guilty of that, right? We have these words that we use that make, like that are a bit ridiculous, if we're going to be honest, right? Speaking of honest, really let's be transparent, Right, because honesty isn't enough. I have to be like a Ziploc bag as a person that you have to see through me, right? Like honesty just isn't good enough, but I have to be transparent, right? Like, can't I just be candid? Can't I just be honest? What about the idea when we say the words, I just want to love on you? Like, do you really have to love on a person? That might be awkward. Right? All we need is love, I think. Maybe it's enough. Just love. Not to be on top of a person, really. Oh, come on. Okay, something just flew out of my mouth and I initially regretted it. Oh, dear. But I'm so glad that, you know, I'm with you because you get me because we do life together. Like, what's that even mean? That's like fellowship on steroids, right? Like, no, no one else in the world says that they do life with somebody. It's called living with somebody. It's called being a family. It's called living in a dorm, right? Like, we just, I'm just going to do life. We just do life together, right? Like, we use these words, and we, like, make them jazzy as if to make them more spiritual, and we sound ridiculous. I sound ridiculous when I say these things because they come out of my mouth, right? Like, I'm just going through a season right now. Right? Right? Like, winter, spring, summer, and fall isn't enough for us Christians. Right? Like, <laughs> like what if I get a flat tire? I got a, I'm in a season right now. Right? I just got dumped after a day. Oh, I'm in a season right now. Right? Like, I'm feeling really, really guilty because I just binge-watched an entire episode or a season on Netflix, and so I'm in a season right now. Right? Like, you know, you all know what I'm talking about. And then there's this wonderful one where people, you know, they just, when talking about, you know, when you get asked that question, so, like, is there anybody in your life? Like, did you meet anybody over this summer? No, I'm just, like, blessed with the gift of singleness right now. Let me tell you, as a 37 single woman, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Come on. We all know we're lying when that flies out of our mouth. But somehow we're just trying not to fall to pieces. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Like, let's just be transparent here, people. 
And then there's this word, anointed. Like, wasn't that worship so anointed? Oh, and that pastor, man, he's so anointed. Like, what? What does it even mean? You got goosebumps during worship? Is that what that means? Is that what we, is that what we reduce anointed to being goosebumps? But we do. We do. We do. Right? We use this word anointed quite flippantly. And what's it even mean? What's it really even mean? Which is why we're starting there. Cause we really have no idea what we're talking about. Cause we use these words. To make us sound spiritual, maybe? I don't know. Or they're just sort of a, a phrase to use. Now, with the word anointed, we know it's a good thing. Yeah, that's good. Like, if it was against being anointed or not being anointed, I would choose to be anointed, right? Like, if I had my druthers. Um, that's a really old phrase, by the way, for all of you who are, like, well, even for me, that's an old one. Okay, so we know that it's good. We know being anointed is good. We know it's biblical. We know that we want anointing, I think. But again, that's a little bit hazy because we haven't quite put our finger on what it means to be anointed. So then we're sort of caught, right? Am I just wanting some goosies during worship? Well, then if that's the case, then sure, I'll take that. That's nice. Am I just wanting to leave... um, (laughs) Here's another one. Am I just wanting to to leave chapel feeling wrecked? Right? Like as if as if God like, you know, wrecks a person, right? <laughs> Perhaps we could say that maybe I, you know, we had a really great moment with Jesus or something. I don't know. <laughs> but we got wrecked, you know. Maybe that's what anointing is. And we really You know, we reduce it. We reduce this word. We reduce what it means down to like a really powerful um, sermon that has three alliterations and then some sort of reversey or catchphrase that the pastor says once and then says again with great emphasis, right? Like that's what we think is anointing. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not. That's not anointing. (laughs) And so the question, really, that we're going to be working with tonight is, what is anointing, and why are we talking about it? That's it. That's that's tonight. What are we talking about, and why? So we're going to start with the first question. What are we even talking about? What is anointing? So we first see anointing in Genesis chapter 28, verse 18. And it's in in this verse or in this chapter that Jacob has just had an incredible dream from God where he sees that staircase from heaven to earth and the angels are ascending and descending. And it's at this dream that God reconfirms his, um, his promise to Jacob's granddaddy that they will be a massive, massive family that, that Abraham would be the father of nations. And it's in this dream that God reconfirms his promise. And this is so incredible to Jacob that he wakes up and he's having a nap and his pillow is a rock 
which would be so uncomfortable. But I guess you use what you got. And so Jacob was so amazed by what God did through that dream that he poured oil on the rock, making it a pillar, and he called that place Bethel, making it a house of God. And that's where we first see this idea of anointing with oil. So we, we do know that it has something to do with oil, at least in the Old Testament. And for many of us, if you've been in some sort of charismatic Pentecostal church a little bit, you've probably seen those vials of oil that get pulled out while you're standing at the altar and you think, oh no, I'm going to have an anointed pimple on my forehead tomorrow, (laughs) right? We all know, we all know. So, but we know that it has something to do with oil. And so it has something to do with pouring something on something, So we know that. So where do we get anointing oil? So let's take a look at Exodus 30. Exodus 30, um, verse 22 to, uh, to 33. I'll wait till you flip there. It's, it's quite soon in the Bible and so it won't take too long. Exodus. Exodus 30, 22. To 33. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Collect choice spices, 12 and a half pounds of myrrh, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of fragment, fragrant uh, calamus, and 12 and a half pounds of cassai. Cassi? Cassai? Sure. Cassai? Cassia. So as measured by weight, um, of the sanct of the sanctuary uh, skial, yeah. Also, one gallon of olive oil. Like a skilled incense maker, blend these ingredients to make a holy anointing oil. Use the sacred oil to anoint the tabernacle, the ark of the covenant, the table, and all its utensils, utensils, the lampstand, and all of its accessories the incense altar, and the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and the wash basin with, it, with its stand. Verse 29, consecrate them to make them absolutely holy. After this, whatever touches them will also become holy. Verse 30, anoint Aaron and his sons also, consecrating them to serve me as priest, priests. And say to the people of Israel, this holy anointing oil is reserved for me from generation to generation. It must never be used to anoint anyone else. And you must never make any blend like it for yourselves. It is holy and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes a blend like it or anoints someone other than a priest will be cut off from the community. That's intense. That's, that's intense. So this matters to God. If he is saying that somebody, if they misuse anointing oil, is going to get kicked out of the community, this is a big deal. Anointing is a really, really big deal to God. Which makes me feel bad 
when I use it so flippantly and I don't understand when I use the word so carelessly. In this text, we see that um, words like consecrate and holy are used when we're talking about the anointing and anointing something. Consecrate them and make them absolutely holy. That's what's happening with this anointing oil. And so it's a really big deal. It's a big deal um, that stuff is anointed and that people are anointed and that things are being set, um, set aside for a particular purpose and set aside to be holy. This is a very big deal. And we really do need to, we really, really do need to understand why. Really. And so let's go, let's, let's do a word study. If we're going to figure out why this is important, let's figure out what the word means. So the word, we're going to go to Greek first. Um, so the word is Cairo, means to anoint. So to anoint by rubbing and pouring olive oil on someone to represent the flow or the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So it represents the power of the Holy Spirit. God is really, really awesome at giving us symbols to represent what he's all about. Communion, the bread, the wine, anointing oil. It's a symbol. Anointing literally means in rubbing oil on the head or somebody to present someone as divinely authorized or appointed by God to serve as a prophet, priest, or king. We see this in a bunch of different texts in the Old Testament, and I'm going to sort of like rat-a-tat them out. Exodus 27, we see that, um, we see that um, the anointing was poured out on Aaron's head, anointing him and making him holy for his work. In 1 Samuel Chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, we see, So David stood there among his brothers, and Samuel took a flask of oil. And he poured it and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. But Second Samuel 2.4 says, Then the men of Judah came to David and anointed him king over the people of Judah. And then it says in Second Samuel 5.3 that so there at Hebron the king was made, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel and they anointed him king of Israel. Interesting that David is anointed more than once. Interesting. In 1 Kings chapter 139, we see that Zadok, the priest who took the flask of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with oil. Then they sounded the ram's horn and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And we have in 1 Kings 19.16 that they anointed Jehu, the grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. 
and the anointed Elisha to replace you as my prophet. Here we have Aaron, Saul, David, Solomon, Elisha, Jehu, all being anointed with oil for a couple of reasons. Number one, it inaugurated their position as king or as prophet. Number two, it symbolized the flow of the Holy Spirit's power on them. Those two reasons, and we see that in each one, some authorization of them and their position and the power that they've, that they've been given and the Holy Spirit's power on their lives. And being anointed really wasn't just um, a particular event. See, what happened was in verse Sam, in 1 Samuel 24, 6, when um, David is faced with King Saul, um, and he's at this place where he could essentially take King Saul out, David said that he would not, because the king is the Lord's anointed. And somehow... It wasn't just about the experience that Saul had that one time when Samuel came and poured oil over him. It was somehow about who Saul was. And Paul couldn't do anything against the anointed. And eventually, that term, the Lord's anointed, the Hebrew word for that is Messiah. plus. And the Greek word is Christ. Christos, right? Anointed means Messiah. Anointed means Christ. So if anointing oil and the act of anointing something or someone led us to the understanding of the Messiah, the anointed one, Messiah, Christ, Christ who is Jesus, somehow anointing must be a big deal. Right? Because that's pointing us to Christ. So anointing is a big deal. And Jesus, he is the anointed one. We see this in Acts. Could you go to Acts 10? Acts 10, verse 36. Acts 10, 36. So it's 10, verse 36 to 38. And Peter is testifying of the anointing of Jesus that Jesus received. And it says, this is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message in baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with what? And, and power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
we see here that it is confirmed. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He is the king of all. He has been anointed. He has been declared having the authority of king of all. And he has been given the power by being anointed with the Holy Spirit at baptism. So all of this is the background which leads us to where Gavin and I are feeling and really believing we need to start our year. Which takes us to Luke 4. So why don't you flip back a few pages and head to first chapter 4 of Luke. Isn't this fun? It's like a scavenger hunt in the Bible. So Luke 4 is part of the inauguration narrative of Jesus' ministry. In fact, Jesus' anointing takes place at his baptism, which we just mentioned, which is in Luke 3, 21 and 22. It was there that he was consecrated as holy and given authority. When God spoke and said, you are my beloved son and you bring me great joy, his authority is declared right then and there. And then, oh, even more so. So then let's just keep going for this for a second. So God said back in Leviticus, he says, consecrate, this idea of consecrate, right? This is, this happens to go along with this idea of anointing to be consecrated, which means to be made holy, to set apart for holy purpose. In Leviticus, it says, for I am the Lord, your God, you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Being the son of God, he is holy. He is consecrated. He is given that authority, declared as son. And then he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. When, like a dove, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then after that anointing at baptism, Scripture tells us that Jesus is full of the Spirit. And then he goes into the desert where he's tested and tempted. And then... We find that after the desert experience, we have Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit again, went back to his hometown of Nazareth, which is where we're going to verse or chapter 4. And we're going to go to verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Soon he became, uh, he became well known throughout the surrounding country. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up and read scripture. The scroll contained the message of Isaiah the prophet that was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. 
He rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. Then he said, the scripture has come true today before your very eyes. Mic drop. It is at this moment that Jesus identifies his anointing. See, this is a very cool experience. This, this moment is a very, very cool moment when it's all about God's timing. This is very cool. Because God is so amazing at orchestrating things that just seem not to, that we could never do. Jesus here, he's been anointed at baptism. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He has gone into the desert. And now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he comes to his hometown. Goes to his home church. His home synagogue. And he makes this amazing, um, he creates this amazing moment where he says, um, where he reads Isaiah. The incredible thing is the custom at the time would not be that somebody would just stand up like and like flip and dip, right? That would not be the custom. The custom is that particular day has a particular reading. Jesus happened to come on that particular day where that particular reading was supposed to be read. And it is Jesus that stands up and reads that particular phrase where he would identify himself as saying, I have been anointed. He's declaring that he has been anointed for something. For what? Then he outlines what he's been anointed for. This is amazing. This truly is miraculous, right? Like who can attest to God's timing? I can Probably some of you are sitting in these seats tonight because of the miraculousness of God's timing. And here we have this incredible moment that Jesus is at his synagogue reading this particular text, declaring in front of everybody there that he has been anointed, that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, without saying that exactly. But saying that because this is a really, really fascinating text in Isaiah 61. Because it presents a picture of Israel's deliverance from exile in Babylon. See, the original text describes a year of jubilee. When all the debt would be canceled. How wonderful would that be? That all of your student debt fourth years would be canceled. Jubilee, right? Like that would be amazing. And all property is returned to the original owner. But the release of Babylon, that exile, the release from that exile, it really didn't bring the fulfillment that the people were expecting. It really didn't do it because they were still conquered and oppressed people. There really wasn't that jubilee moment that they were anticipating. And yet it is at this moment in his home synagogue that Jesus proclaims that he's the anointed one. He's the one who has the authority and the power to bring freedom, to bring sight, to bring favor, to bring salvation. This is a really, really big deal. Really big deal. 
And it is through Luke's account that we observe the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit in Jesus in that inauguration narrative. We see Jesus beginning his ministry and being anointed by the Spirit. We observe Jesus being tested and being filled with the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus in his, the beginning of his Galilee ministry, ministering by the power of the Spirit. The activity of the Holy Spirit in baptism, temptation, in the synagogue episode, inaugurates Jesus' public ministry. And it shows that Jesus not only was anointed by the Spirit, but he was Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered. Luke's description of Jesus' account is so interesting and so fascinating because it's not just... It's not just really cool things to discover in the Bible, right? Like that's the thing. And this is the paradigm that we find ourselves in here at Summit is we could learn a lot and we can find out a lot of things that are really fascinating. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is not just fascinating. This is life altering. There's this paradigm changing. And this particular context, this particular event is paradigm changing. This is so significant for you and I. So significant because what it's saying here is that like Jesus, his disciples must also be anointed. Like Jesus, his heirs must be anointed. Like Jesus, successors must be anointed. That, that is paradigm shifting. Paradigm shifting that we are called to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't me just grasping at straws because I want to talk about the Holy Spirit because we see this in Acts 1. Jesus speaks about this in Acts 1. So let's go on a little bit more of a journey. Let's go to Acts 1. Acts 1, 5. This is when Jesus is still here on earth and he says to his uh, disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power. You will receive, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is at Pentecost that the disciples were inaugurated into the ministry and mission of Jesus. It was there that they were empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit to do the two things that anointing does. To be made holy, to be consecrated, and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's what is anointing. But why? Why do we even talk about it? Why should we talk about it? Why should we know what it really means? Because anointing isn't just for just about the story of Jesus. And it isn't just a word that we can use to describe some gooseys that we get in worship. As we mentioned, it's, ta- it was, it's, a, it's a paradigm, right? Anointing is for those that 
God has called, that God has consecrated, that God is empowering to do his mission. To It is for the disciples. It is for his heirs. And in Romans 8, we know full well that we are heirs. We are heirs. This is talking about us. I believe that God is calling us not just to use this word anointed, not just for a definition alteration. That's not what we're doing with this word at all. I believe that God is calling us to actually walk in his anointing. That we would be consecrated. That we would be people walking in holiness. That we would be empowered people by the Holy Spirit. See, you're sitting here at Summit wanting to do something for God. You're wanting to do something for God. Or else you wouldn't be here. That's a really expensive seat just to sit here. You are paying money. You are investing your own or your parents' finances. Because you actually want to do something for God. You might not articulate this, but... What you're doing here is you're saying that you want to be set apart for a holy purpose. You, in being here at Summit, are saying with your actions that you want to be consecrated. You would, we would never use that word because I'd probably make fun of you at some beginning of some sermon or something. But, <laughs> but this is what our actions are telling. That we're wanting to be set apart If you're sitting here and you want to be a part of God's mission and ministry, some of you are sitting here because you are dying to preach the gospel. You're dying to preach the gospel. Some of you are so bent on freeing the captives. You are so into human trafficking and you feel so Stirred within you that you have a part in freeing the captives in 2018. You're sitting here and you're feeling this urge to do that. There are some of you that are feeling that you are so led to be praying for healing. That the blind would see. Or that you would bring enlightenment to those who are so incredibly blind to the love of Jesus. You're sitting here itching to get out into the world to do something. Some of you are so heart burdened for people who are hurting. You care so deeply. And that's why you're going into counseling because you care so deeply. Because there are so many people who are so burdened and so oppressed in this world. And they don't need to. They just need the love of Jesus. And that's why you're sitting here. And so if that's why you're sitting here, my friends, you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is what scripture is telling us. I really don't care if you have goosies or not. I don't want to live for goosies. But I do want to live in the mission of Jesus. And so I think we're called this year to really consider 
to put ourselves before God and say, consecrate me, make me holy, God. And I realize that in saying that, that's going to be some really hard work. It's going to be really hard work and God's going to do it if we open ourselves to that. But the things that Jesus did, bringing freedom to the crap, that's easy for you to say, bringing freedom to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom for those who are oppressed. And then he, and then he says that we will get to do even greater things. Collectively, we get to do even greater things. If that's the case, my friends, we cannot do it on our own. I know you're awesome, but you can't do it on your own. Thanks. <laughs> I want to tell you a story. Um, so I was, we were at um, a leadership retreat uh, just this past weekend, and I was praying for us, praying for this year, with no particular, just, I just was praying. And then I felt like the Lord was like giving me or recalling a memory for me. And it was a memory from this past Christmas. And so for those of you who have been, me, been with me for two years, you know I talk about my family. For those of you who are new here at Summit, you're going to hear a lot about the Quigleys. Um, so I have a brother, and his name is Glenn. I have two brothers, but Glenn, he and I, we have this wonderful friendship, and he's my best friend. Um, and Glenn, I think, is this t- the most incredible human being ever, and he is an amazing gift giver. He is an incredible, incredible gift giver. All of my nice clothes, Glenn has bought. <laughs> he, and that's usually what Christmas looks like. Is It's this great anticipation of what Glenn has bought for everybody. Because he's such a great gift giver. I'm such a terrible, I'm a mediocre. Like, you don't want to get rid of the gift that I give, but you don't really want to use it either. <laughs> so... Glenn's, on the other hand, is so thoughtful. And we were talking one time about what makes a good gift giver. And we came to the conclusion that a good gift giver is a listener. Mm. I guess that means I don't listen. <laughs> and I thought I was a good listener, but I guess not. So, I, yeah, good gift givers are good listeners and good observers. And so this past Christmas, um, Glenn and I were talking about the gift that he got me. And we don't typically do that, but we, he was really excited about it. And, um, and he said, you're going to have no idea. No idea. Now, I'm going to sort of like ruin the story because i got to give you a bunch of back story. Okay, so I like jewelry. That's what he got me. Um, so I like jewelry and has anybody ever been to the store Blue Ruby? Ladies, anybody been to the store Blue Ruby? Okay. Blue Ruby, it's a jewelry store. They've got some just really neat stuff. Uh, yeah, they just have really neat, unique jewelry and I like unique stuff. Um, so, um, Blue Ruby is in Metrotown and I, so I used to live in Vancouver like 10 years ago. And so I would go to the store and I would look at their jewelry and I just sort of drool. 
because I was a poor children's pastor and I didn't have any money to buy anything. And it wasn't the year of Jubilee yet because I still had student loans. Um, and so I would look around and I saw this, uh, this line, this jewelry line. And it was all about like, um, it was like pea pods and like, like um, leaves and that kind of thing, which sounds dumb. Uh, and sounds ugly, but I really liked them because sometimes I just like ugly things. Um, but no, but it was cute. They were really pretty. And, and I really, I really liked this, this particular necklace of a pea pod. And, and the, there were three peas in the pea pod and the peas were pearls. And I just thought, this is really unique, really cool, just unique. And so I would go to the mall regularly and just not shop because I had no money. And, um, and I would just look at it and it would be behind this locked glass and I would just look at this necklace and I'd kind of just dream and think one day, one day I'll be able to buy myself this necklace one day. Um, and year after year, it would go by, and I would look at this necklace. And so it must be just not a lot of people like this necklace, because it was there for a long time, <laughs> now that I'm putting it together. But anyways, so, but then I moved. I moved from Vancouver, and um, and then I moved back to Ontario. And so I was uh, Ontario, and I was hanging out with Glenn. And Glenn and I like to go and shop at bric-a-brac shops. So by bric-a-brac shops, what I mean is stores that have a whole lot of crap in it. And like just things that nobody really needs in their home. No one ever needs these things, but they buy them. That's me. That's what those stores are for, for me. Because I like to buy things that are purposeless. Um... So I was at this one store and they had some really cool clothes, some really cool jewelry. And then I happened to see, this is in Ontario in the city of Guelph. If anybody knows where that is. Woo! All right. Um, shout out. Um, so there was this wall of jewelry and I like stopped dead in my tracks and there was the necklace. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's that necklace. This is so amazing. And I looked at it and I stared at it. And I just like wiped my, my mouth a little bit. And I thought, oh, that's just so, I love that necklace. And so then I said to Glenn, hey, Glenn, come here. Isn't this necklace so cool? And I talked to him about necklace. And he's such a, such a kind brother because he actually just listens to me and puts up with me. And he says, yeah, that's a really cool necklace, Kim. Yeah, I like it. Um, meanwhile, like, who, who, what does he care? Um, so I'm looking at this necklace and I just think it's amazing. And it's just too much money for me. It's just not enough. It's not worth it enough for me. Or, well, really, now I'm a student again, so I really have no money. Um, so I just don't have the money for it. And so every once in a while, Glenn and I would take our trip to Guelph, and we'd go shop at brick-a-brack shops and look at stores and buy stuff that we don't need. And um, that's cheaper, you know, just to, like... Because sometimes, you know how you feel like you feel like you want to buy something? And it's so dumb, because you don't need anything... And you got this money burning in your pocket. Can I give you some advice? Don't do that. It's so dumb. It's so, don't do that. Save your money. Save your money. Anyways. um, So years have gone by, right? Like 10 years ago, I have been looking at this necklace, really wanting it and just not getting it. So now we're at Christmas. 
And so we're talking about the gift that I'm going to get. And typically, on Christmas morning, um, it's this bated breath of what did Glenn get? And, um, and it's usually a clothing box, right? And it's soft, and you know it's going to be some sort of clothing. And so, I, and so he says... He says, oh, get that purple thing right there. Meanwhile, I hate the color purple. Sorry for those of you who like purple. I just don't like it. I just don't like it. And it was like bright purple. And I thought, this isn't even a Christmas color. What is he thinking? (laughs) And so I have this purple. And the box is like a Chinese takeaway box. And it's got like this metal handle. And I think, this is so weird. Like, what is this? And so it's got a purple foil bow, and I take off the bow, and um, and I open the box, and in it is, like, tissue and stuff. And right on top of the tissue is this piece of paper that, like, that describes the piece of, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the thing that you never, ever read. Yeah, well, that's on top. And so I take that off and don't read it. And I just keep sort of digging into the tissue. And I open it up. And I see, I see the necklace that I, that I have wanted for a decade. And I look at it. Oh, it gets me every time. I look at it. And I immediately... Immediately, drop of the hat. I'm a mess, a mess, and I just can't. I cannot pull myself together to save my life. Like I can't. I can't get words out. And I just look at him, and I pull, and he's looking at me, and he's crying. And then my parents are sitting there, and they're crying. And they have no idea why they're crying. But that's the Quigleys, and we feel through our eyeballs. And finally, like, I I couldn't even reach down and get it. Finally, I reach down, and I take the necklace, and, and all I say is, it's the necklace. It's this necklace. And it's the most precious gift that I have. Because he knew that for so long I wanted it. And I never felt like it was in my grasp. And this is the picture that God gave me on Saturday. As people are like worshiping Jesus, I'm literally bawling my face off and I'm sure they're wondering I'm like there's something wrong with me (laughs) but then as God sort of like gave me back this picture he was saying Kim there are people who think that my spirit is behind a glass that they've been wanting there is somebody in this room For years, you feel like, for years, you felt like the Holy Spirit is behind glass. Like you can't afford it. Or that it's not for you. And God loves to give. 
his kids gifts. He loves to. He love he loves to. He's a wonderful listener. He's a wonderful listener. He's a wonderful observer. He's listening to you. When you cry out for his spirit, for him to move in your life, he's listening. He's observing you. He is, and he has really wonderful, wonderful gifts. Wonderful gifts. And it brings him absolute joy. Absolute joy. I'd like to I'd like to challenge you a little bit. Well, first this is this is where I'd like to we're going to we're going to end here. So that is the official way to say band, can you please come up? <clears throat> but what I'd like to suggest and challenge you is I had my mind set on a particular kind of box. I had my mind set that I was going to get something in a clothing box, something that would be soft, something that I had felt before. I had my mind set on something that was fairly large and rectangular in a Christmas color. And what I got was a Chinese takeout box that was purple. Can I challenge you to open up your horizons to the things of the spirit? Who knows what the Holy Spirit's going to do, right? The disciples didn't know what they were going to get on the night that they got the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what that was going to look like. And I just say... If you're holding back from what the Holy Spirit can do in your life because you think it's going to look a particular way, maybe it's going to be a purple takeaway box instead of a rectangle clothing box like you think. God's bigger than that, right? His Holy Spirit is bigger than that. The anointing which consecrates us and empowers us to do the mission of Christ, it might just look differently than you think it's going to look. It might be tears, it might be not. Right? Like, let's just be open to what the Holy Spirit has to do in our lives. And I'm not even talking about, like, at this particular moment. I'm just talking about life. He does, he can do incredible things. And I've been foolish at times consider that he's going to do it in a particular way. That was foolish of me because I lost out. And so I want to open up myself to whatever God has for me. Because I believe that I need God's anointing. I believe that you need God's anointing. I believe that we need to say together, Holy Spirit, consecrate me. Holy Spirit, make me holy. And in that, let's kind of go there. Let's let the Holy Spirit do the work in us to do that. 
And then let's say, Holy Spirit, I need your power because I'm burning to do the things that you want me to do, but I cannot do it on my own. And so I'd ask right now, would you all stand with me? And come. Like if that's your heart, move from your chair. And I have a full belief that, you know what, sometimes we need to move our body and our bodies need to drive where our hearts are at. It doesn't even matter if they're singing. If you're saying, God, set me apart for a holy purpose, Holy Spirit, empower me, come. Let's pray together. Let's do it now. Because I need to. own hearts we're just going to say and in our own way God consecrate me empower me I need you and we're going to come around and we're going to anoint we're going to do a physical symbol of some oil as a reminder of consecration being set apart and the power of God in your life. So let's pray. Use your words. (laughs) Use what your mama gave you and then use what your heavenly father gave you. Am I right? Let's pray.